I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. And I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. Welcome to the 17th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. Or visit our Patreon, actually, and visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. This week on the show, we're going to talk about Southern Hemisphere hops. M, what is your favorite hop from the Southern Hemisphere? Oh, man, I got to give it up to my pal, Nelson Sauvin. Uh, I had Nelson Sauvin for the first time in 2011 uh, when I was living in Oregon, and I was such a fan. I love it together with something, actually, usually not particularly on its own. But man, when it like acts as kind of the secondary hop to another hop, it's a real stunner. Uh, yeah. What about you? Um, I don't know that I have a favorite. I will say that there is something special about New Zealand hops. Like, mm-hmm. I I can't think of one that I don't like, for example. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically anytime I'm at a brewery and I see, you know, this beer is made with X from New Zealand, mm-hmm. I'm all over it. So, yeah, it's yeah. so unique, really, really exactly. unique. And I'm really excited to talk to our two guests about what makes those hops Why? unique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're on the same page. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll introduce our guests and get into a conversation. But first, if you would like to help support the All About Beer podcast, please reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Brent McClashen is a fifth-generation hop farmer from Motuika, New Zealand. The McClashen family is one of the original families left in hop farming in New Zealand and have been growing hops since 1900. They've been part of all cycles of the hop roller coaster, but have remained at the forefront of innovation and sustainability inside this small niche industry. Mac Hops is now the family branded farming name, and it includes two farm locations, the home farm, which is 30 hectares and located right in the heart of Motuika, and their new farm formed in 2017 in the Mautier Valley, which is 85 hectare uh, of hops and 50 hectares of dryland farming. Mac Hops has been supplying both local and international brewers with their high quality hops for over a century and are proud to have made many friends along the way. Uh, for the benefit of our American listeners, 30 hectares is about 74 acres and 85 hectares is about 210 acres. That is a lot of hops. Welcome to the show, Brent. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the invite, Don. Uh, and thank you for getting up early for us because it's seven o'clock in the morning where you are. Oh, geez. <laughs> Yeah, it's not too bad that uh, now we've finished harvest, it's actually dark at the moment. So, um, but before we were starting harvest, it would be uh, nice and light from sort of quarter past six onwards for the tractors to start. But now, as, as uh, 
winter's on its way as autumn's rolling on in. We've had some very cold mornings in the last week. And um, yeah, she's certainly getting darker, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, and of course, uh, it's seven o'clock in the morning tomorrow uh, relative to us. So uh, you are speaking to us from the future. So we will ask you I love you that. To, I'm always, yeah. That always makes me, that makes me always so happy when I talk to someone from New Zealand or Australia. I love yeah. that. Are you sure you're not jealous, Em? Because you'll never catch us in this world. You never will. <laughs> um, so first off, in your introduction, we mentioned that your two farms total 115 hectares of hops. Um, is there an easy way to explain how much that is in terms of either how much beer that might result in or how many kilograms of actual hops? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, that, that's over 200 ton we normally produce off that area, about 240, 250 ton of hops. Um, so it's it's a few piles of hops that makes a good deal of beer. So <laughs> it's um, a lot. Is that fair? That's to a say? lot. <laughs> and, it, and it depends how much our craft brewing friends want to um, pump up the barrel content of ours. So um, of course, yeah, but they can they can keep pumping it up more if they like. That's fine. <laughs> there, there's some American breweries that would that would use all 240 tons in one beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you'd probably be able to lick our belts on our machine and get a similar taste, I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what makes Southern Hemisphere hops so special? Ah, great question, Don. Um, look, we do have a unique thing going on down here. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the environment has, I believe, a, a huge impact and um, where we're growing. You know, if you look at the latitude that we're growing on, I think we're about 40 two or 45 degrees um and where it's grown everywhere else in the world you know we've always had people question how can you grow such good hops you know at a latitude like that but you know as, as climates are changing and all that's um sort of shifting with the weather patterns uh no we're, we're finding a huge success with with our hops um and you know we're, we're less than i think we're, we're just less than one percent of the world production down here so we have to create those hops that are different. We can't just be creating a standard run-of-the-mill hop variety that, that brewers know that they can get from anywhere else. It, it has to be different. So, uh, what, are you, uh, what are you growing? Like, what does your hop farm, like, are you doing um, much? You have all sorts? Yeah. Or are you focusing on one? What's the... There's about 20 commercial varieties here in New Zealand, Tim, so there's quite a number. Uh, we would be growing about 15 of those commercial varieties, plus we do um, all the trialling for New Zealand hops and for plant oh, wow. food. So we have all the trial hops on our farm, and which is a real fun because I get to give them a real good beating around and, and see you know, a real good test in the commercial sense, um, and we can really put them through their paces Uh and see if they're going to be a success for for, for the future. Um, so yeah, we're growing all sorts from Marawaka to Nelson Sobin to Rewalker to Waka Tu, Waimea, um, Rakel. Uh, yeah, there's there's, there's all, all all of the names that we hope people know and hope people <laughs> are using. So yeah, um, and you, you kind of mentioned this the special location. Do you find um, consistent differences between your two farms yeah well that's a good question don because um that's the reason of our two farms so our home farm is uh situated right on the outskirts of our little town called motawaka so um we're, we're just to the back of the, the township and we have um the sea is about two kilometers or let's say one and a half miles away from us 
the mountains are about three or four miles behind us. Uh, the river, the Motawaka River flows uh, just over our back fence. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a beautiful setting. Um, we have a very uh, sandy silt loam um, on our farm at a soil type, so very good drainage um, and uh, can grow some wonderful hops, particularly we find the aroma hops grow very, very well down here and on these soils. Um, then we have our Mootry farm, that's a 15 minute drive from where we are and it's in clay country. We've, we've got some of the heaviest clay soils, if not the heaviest clay soils in um, New Zealand hop farming at the moment. And uh, we specifically chose that site for the, for the um, soil type um, that oh. we can grow on. Hmm. And, and what will that clay do differently? Um, so with the, the clay generally can hold the, the alpha varieties, the heavier varieties um, oh. better. Um, and it can, it, it means that we've got the best of both worlds. We can position those varieties that grow better on one soil type and put them in that soil type. And the ones that grow better on the other, they, they go up to the other farm. So um, yeah, the, to give you an idea as well for water availability for our irrigation, um, we're using all overhead irrigation. Uh, which we are very lucky we're able to with, you know, we don't have the disease pressures as, as the rest of the world does. Um, we have in Motawaika, our water is 18 feet deep and when uh, probably one of the, the best aquifers in New Zealand, the water just keeps on flowing underneath our feet. It's, it's amazing uh, with some of the clearest water in, in, in New Zealand. Um, and then up at our Mootry farm with all the water trying to make it through the the clays, uh, we have an irrigation well that goes down 1,200 feet to pick up that water. Um, so that's sort of it's sort of giving a few people on the other side of the world a bit of a headache. It's a long way down. So, <laughs> oh, wow. um, and we also supplement that water up the Mootry farm. We have some hills that collect um, rain for us over, over winter and in the big rainfalls, and we use a majority of that water as well too. So. Um, getting a natural catchment of water. So yeah, we find that the balance between the both farms and the different soil types, we're, we're, we're able to create sort of a, a well-rounded world, world-class hop. So um, yeah, we're, we're quite excited to have the opportunity, but it was a calculated excitement, let's say that. Mm. It was purposeful what you did. Yeah. 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 Um, you're sort of touching on a bunch of questions I already wanted to ask. So Don, Don is, I know Don is ecstatic right now to talk to you, Brent, because he's <laughs> such a nerd and he's going to bring the nerdy questions. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> well, and you sort of touched on some of this, but like, are there unique challenges to growing hops in New Zealand? Like, as I understand it, they have to be organic. Um, um and yeah, they, they, they don't have to be organic, but we grow them sort of in an organic way the only thing that we don't do organic is um we don't have uh we we, st we still use uh, um commercial sprays in terms of the weed sprays um but we also use uh commercial fertilizer. oh i think we've lost brand the growers oh there we go oh, oh sorry <laughs> you cut out for a second um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, look, we, yeah we, I was just saying that we don't have um, any sort of sprays that have to go up into the canopy of our hops. Um, so we're, we're only really using about three weed sprays a year. 
and then we also use sheep to control our weeds. So oh. that's another form of um, uh, sort of environmental um, goodness that we don't have to, to to keep on spraying. So yeah, we we like to. It's basically a spray-free crop in terms of nothing goes into the canopy and nothing touches the hops. We don't have any mildews, um, no problems there. And I I just hope we don't get that problem because New Zealand has a perfect environment for, for growing mildews. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, also gives us the ability to use our overhead sprinklers. Um, and with our overhead sprinklers, we can create a different environment for our hops and we can also grow some very good cover crops underneath as our hops are still growing, which provides a lot of life to the soil um, and ground cover. And yeah, it's just something we really thrive on and how we grow things. Yeah. So, and, and the sheep are happy too. And the sheep are very happy. Yep. Yep. So, and do <laughs> they taste like beer? No, they don't taste like beer. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Yeah, um, so typically the, the sheep um, we'll get in after hop training. Once once uh, um, the hops have wound their way up close to the top, then we can send some sheep in and they do a lot of um, the leaf plucking and defoliation and, and sucker control down below for us. So they're probably our cheapest employees we will ever employ. So they do a great <laughs> job. Um, they, you know, they... they replace what they put in by putting it back through the system um yep. and that, yeah, is, that is the politest way i've ever heard that but yes <laughs> thank, thank you for that yeah i, I was trying to be uh diplomatic yeah so and <laughs> and you know people got to realize in, in a, a a dung loading of sheep there's about 700 kilograms of um nitrogen loading on that that area per hectare so you know it's quite significant how it processes wow. it through there through their body and then out through the system and it is quite a fertilizer so um yeah and look I'd, I'd love to see sheep used more in world hops it's a great management tool um if it can avoid putting some more sprays on the ground i think it's beneficial for for our hop farmers um and i know in the states uh that the, the usda i think has a um, clause in there that you're not allowed to use um, any sort of livestock into a crop production I think 90 days before harvest. Well, hell, the hops have only just gotten out of the ground 90 days before harvest. So, oh. um, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. And I, I hope that that can be reversed at some stage or, or people mm. can get into to using um, some of these other tools of the trade that, that can be more environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So hops grow that quickly. So popping out of the ground to finish is three. I mean, that's how how many, I guess... Oops. How many centimeters or inches? I'm thinking inches because I'm an American. Um, <laughs> or a day is that? I mean, that's because they're how tall are your trellises? Yeah, good question, Em. So our trellises are generally probably the more smaller. <clears throat> we're not dwarf size, of course, but we're the more smaller um, hop structures in the world. We're we're growing on about 16, 15 to 16 feet of trellis. Um, okay. So I think it's more likely. 17 to 18 in, in America and even more in Germany. So we, yeah, it, it's a smaller trellis, but we grow our hops closer together. Um, mm. And I think, what, what's 2.7 metres in feet? I'm not too sure, but we're, we're, we're about um, two to three feet closer how we grow our structure. So when you've got a hop field, if you go shorter, you can go closer. If you go taller, you need to go wider. And it's all about light, light utilization. And as that light um, gets down into the 
into the bulk of the um, hop bind, um, that's when it needs to be hitting the hop cones, and those hop cones need to be getting energized and charged up. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of complex things going on in a hop cone um, when it's growing. But, but to give you an idea of timing, uh, our hops come out of the ground sort of around September time. We'll be hop training middle to the end of October right through to early December. Um, and from then on, they're racing their way up the strings. We, we don't want them to be growing too fast because, of course, each day and each growth spacing is where a branch site can be. So we call that internode spacing. And if your internode spacing is too large, meaning things have grown far too quick, you know, everyone can post photos on social media. Oh, look at this. This is amazing. I'm the first to the top. It's not always the best way to be. <laughs> so. Um, we're wanting that internode spacing to be quite nicely compact, meaning that the plant's gotten out of the ground nicely and it's slowed down in its growth pattern. As it's slowed in its growth pattern, then it puts out more branching sites. And then once the hop gets to the top of the wire, it bends over and it shuts off its sap flow. And then that sap flow goes, it says to the plant, right, oh guys, I can't grow out. Oh, sorry, I can't grow up, so I need to grow out. And that's when the branches form as the branches come out, that's where you'll start forming your hop cones on the branches. You'll never form a hop cone on the main on the main vine itself. Oh, hmm. interesting. So, yeah. So ultimately, you know, there used to be certain um, uh, measurements of of how you know how good your crop was going to be. You could count. You know, a minimum would be say twenty two um branch spacing by the time it got to the top but then it changed to 25 then to 27 but yeah ultimately you just have to run with what mother nature gives you at the time um say for instance the season that we've just had um you know the rewalker variety is a very very hard variety to grow and it's um she's a temperamental little lady so you've got to uh help her along as best you can but if, if the environment isn't doing that for you we had after about the second week of hop training, um, we would normally go back through a second time um, to redo the plants that were missed. And this year we had to put it off another week because we had a, a cold spell come through and also a very dull weather. So the, the plant wasn't overly energised. It was happy just sitting doing what it's doing, but that, therefore it stagnated in growth. And a week like that at a critical time in its growth can really hold the plant back right the way through to the very end so yeah it just um it affects yields all, all sorts of things so I, I think that a lot of people think of of farming as you know you you plant it and then you sit back and wait but i mean it, you're doing yeah. something every day yeah and, and hops basically if you're out there in the field and you see something you've missed it by several days so you have to preempt what's going oh, on I if you see. want to be yeah. a, a top-end producer it's a phenomenal plant the hop mine you know it grows so fast it can grow up to a foot a day um if you want to sit there and with your deck chair and a, and a can of beer to pass the day away it's it's one plant you could actually watch grow um so yeah it, it's it really is a unique plant with with how it it can wind its way up the string um, and yeah, it, it needs to be helped along the way. You need to be giving your soils a balanced feed of, of plant feeding nutrients as well as soil feeding nutrients because if your soil has got no 
basically money in the bank, then then it's got no way of withdrawing that money. There's no loans or or mortgages you can take on it out right. on the soil. If it's not right. there, you, you can't grab it. So, and these plants, when they're growing so fast up, you know, plants. People got to remember when you're a plant, you're feeding by your root hairs. So it's the the microscopic little wee hairs that are growing, not the big big fatties that are, are your storage roots. So, if you were to grab your hand and sort of clasp it and face it down, you'd get an idea of what a hot hot vine, ah, sorry, a hot plant grows like. So it's got significant storage roots that at the moment now post harvest is locking as much nutrients as it can in before winter. And it's trying to store those nutrients away. So they are the storage roots. In springtime, uh, those roots will help energize the plant and bring the plant out of its hibernation. And what you're wanting over winter time, we are wanting a cool winter. If we don't get that cool winter, it's basically a um, it's like a fuel tank. If you've got a warm winter, part of that fuel tank is going to get used up, and therefore you need to you know that you're going to have to replace more in the background. If you've got a good winter and it shut everything down, then you're going to get a good flush and a good consistent growth come through. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've got to watch all seasons, not only when the hops are growing up the string, but also when they're down hibernating in the ground, we keep an eye on the winter soil temperatures and and everything like that. Yeah, year-round, year you're monitoring, monitoring yep. things. Yeah, yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. And, of course, you can't rotate crops when you're growing hops. No, no, we, it's once it's in the ground, she's in there for basically for its lifetime and, and its lifetime's either determined by crop production or else by markets. So right. we've, we've got some varieties in there that are over 25 years old and, and still growing very well. Um, sort of for, for, a, for a hop life cycle, um, well, for me personally, I, and I grow a first year crop, our baby crop, I get disappointed if I don't get close to a full crop. Um, if we plant it at the right time and the the weather gods are shining on us, we can actually um, produce a very significant crop out of its first year. Um, and then the second and third years, of course, as I've set some new roots down, they're producing very nice crops as well. And once you get to, say, year five or six, things will sort of plateau and button off and, and you get a sort of consistent crop from then in to say year 15 and then you might drop off uh, another sort of 10 to 15 percent from then on in as as the um, plant gets older right um you mentioned some of your vines are you know 25 years old can you and and of course you've been in the industry forever so can you talk about how new zealand hops uh and and what the market wants has changed over the years i think that uh, currently, everybody loves the super tropical gooseberry thiol type flavors, but 25 years ago, that that wouldn't have been the case. That's, yeah, great question, Don, because that's what people have, you know, asked how how do we predict hop movements and and what what beer styles are. are and you know, it's it's a complete gamble. Um, when 27 years ago now, I think Nelson Sovin was released. And when it was first released, uh, we were in the commodity hop cycle. So if you weren't growing a certain amount of uh, hops per hectare or per acre, uh, you simply weren't a viable business. Um, so that was when the hop industry 
lost you know about a hundred thousand acres around the world in 10 years because some of those farmers with some of their old um, plantings and things and, and it was a time it was a pretty tough time for growers a very tough time you know as families when I was growing up um, there, there wasn't much hope for the hop industry to be honest um, I remember when dad had a few of the board meetings and stuff at, at home they were mentioning all this stuff about, oh, they're saying in, in the world media that hops are going to be replaced by a synthesised oil that's going to do everything in beer and hop farmers will soon be no longer. Um, you know, all this sort of stuff. And you're at a time when you're kind of at your lowest anyway. Um, we only had a handful of brewers around the world who were buying, you know, all the hops around the world. And we, we all of us worldwide rode on the back of what how the crop grew for everyone else. Um, so... New Zealand at the time had to put a stake in the sand and go, actually, we've got something here that's a difference. So out came Nelson Sovin, which was the most out there flavour, taste, everything that you could ever imagine. It was so polarising. And we had many brewers who would, well, of the time, who would turn up and just turn their noses up and say, well, how are we going to use this stuff? It just sounds, it smells like someone's gone and a, a cat's gone and peed all over it. Um <laughs> So in terms of aroma, we're like, well, this is going to fall flat on its nose, isn't it? But um, yeah, then we had a, a brewery here in New Zealand. Um, I think it was Lion Brewery at the time. They tried it in their trial um, uh, trial plant and they really enjoyed it because it had a difference and that was something they could market on as a difference. And therefore, Nelson Sovin um, started its life cycle. But Nelson Sovin is case in point for how it really made hop growers struggle early on because it didn't yield anywhere near like the commodity hops and we needed to command a better price if it was going to be viable to grow. So reluctantly, the the, the money slowly started coming out of the breweries' purses, um, but then once people got onto it, they wanted to jump all on it because they knew that there was nothing else like it in world hops. Um, so from then on, the, the breeders that we have here at Plant and Food, who they've been part of New Zealand Hops, the cooperative for, for decades. Um, they realised, yep, look, we've got a, a, a great range of varieties here that are different and we believe can make an impact in the world. Um, and they certainly have done all of that. So, yeah, it's now we're at the point of um, we have a very, very advanced breeding programme um, and it's often been held on a pedestal around the world in terms of world hop breeding. Um, Dr. Ron Beetson, he's been breeding hops for 40 years. He's just retired. He's been part of plant food for 50 years, started off in tobacco and then joined into um, hops 10 years later. So he's, he's, uh, he learned off one of the best, which was Dr. Rudy Roborg, who was um, the first person to breed out Phytophthora root rot um, back in the day, which was very, very important. Um, back then, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, hop growers here in New Zealand were replacing their plants every up to every three years. By the time you got to the third year, a lot of the field had had rotted out. So that was a very, very important, um, I wouldn't say find, I'd say, um, yeah, you know, he, he was the one who bred it out of the system. So um, Dr. Ron Beetson obviously learned from from him, and then um, they he started bringing some of his own difference to the program. And now we have um, Kerry Templeton, who is now running the the breeding program, and it, Kerry's fantastic as well too. And he's got more of the brewing side as well. He um, 
there's a little wee micro brew kit out there that they're brewing about 12 to 15 different single hill um, plot trials every week that we're out there sampling and, and it basically becomes the Olympics. You start off in the in the um, preliminaries and then you go to the quarterfinals, then the semifinals, and then when you hit the finals, you know that you've got a really, really good hop. Um, so, yeah, it's it's our breeding program, something we're very, very proud of. Um, and it's something that, you know, we've just recently in the last couple of weeks, we've had brewers from all over the world come and they've they've been lucky enough to be allowed in to see what goes on behind the scenes and they're just absolutely amazed and and they've been able to rub some of these new varieties that, that are coming along and the reaction is really quite special and you know you're onto a good thing and you know you're onto something that people are going to enjoy so um yeah we're, we're excited to see where the future keeps on going but we also have a great um we have a great shopping basket of spices in, in our background at the moment too. Um, that's awesome. Um, could you describe for beer drinkers, what should they be looking for from a New Zealand hop, i.e. kind of what makes New Zealand hop special? And then you kind of hinted towards new varieties. So can you, again, you're speaking from the future, so can you... <laughs> it's uh, true, Don. <laughs> can you tell us what beer, what variety, can you name a couple of varieties that beer drinkers maybe should be looking for in the next year or two? Yeah, sure. So typically I explain, you know, I've, I've spent um, four harvests over in, in America and, spent, you know, spent a lot of time there. I've got some really awesome um, friends over there that are part of the hop industry. Um, and I've, I, I noticed quite a difference between our hops. Um, so what I find in the beer itself, when you've got a New Zealand hop variety, you typically have um, a, a Ford palate tasting hop. It's very crisp on the front of your mouth. Um, there's not a great deal of linger in behind the back of your throat or anything like that. Um, whereas sort of more the American varieties would be would be classic of that. They, they are um, they hit the front, but then they go towards the back. Um, New Zealand hops are very very zappy right at the front um, and it gives you a very crisp sharp um, initial taste right off right off the go um, new varieties that you know I think you've said before Don um, the varieties in the southern hemisphere have been classical of their tropical fruits and and their um, taste profiles like that and yes we do have that um, and, and quite the mouthful, but we're also not shy to say, look, we, we are a variety that we're happy to be mixed in with other hops from around the world, because if we're providing that front of mouth feel and you've got a, a and you're a brewer who's got um, some other hops from around the world going and providing that back, well, then the, the consumer is getting the full mouthful, they're getting the, mm. the, the whole fruit bowl all in one. So um, we've, we've never been shy to say, you know, we're not out there saying, oh, you must only use, uh, use New Zealand hops in this brew. <laughs> no, we actually believe, you know, if you're going to be in the sand pit, you share the toys with your friends. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's a very kind of a unique flavour that we can get out and we can get it out at the front of, of the beer um, in terms of your mouth profile. Um, you know, there, there's quite a few differences. We, we have, in our environment, we have a lot of moisture here. Um, just to give you an idea, we had a record rainfall in July last year in winter, and that was um, nearly uh, close to two feet of rain in the month of July. Um, so, yeah, there's as, as the hop grows through, we have a, a lot heavier um, core inside our, um, 
inside our, so that's called the, the strig, um, inside mm. the cone of the hop. And therefore, when you're drying your hops, um, that's ultimately plant, the part of the cone that you need to dry out. So it takes a little bit longer to dry New Zealand hops because we need to dry that strig out, otherwise it's, it remains too moist. And so when you're out, when you're in the kilns, there's a huge plume of, of basically steam as such, but a huge plume of moisture coming off. And when you've got your kiln, we'll easily lose a foot of, of height, and that's all just to moisture. Um, so, yeah, and that's one thing I learned, you know, spending many kilns and, and drying hours over in the States was the difference in terms of the hop cone structure. Um, and it's all about, as a dryer, you're trying to maintain everything to the very, very last. And as you're maintaining that, that's storing all the all the goodies in their package um, to to then pass through to the brewer, and then for them to, like I said, reach that spice rack, and they say, okay, well if I use a bit of Modawaker, I'm going to bit of get a you know a bit of zappy zest on the tongue with a bit of lemon and and lime and all sorts of things coming through, and then if I mix that with this, then this is what I'm going to get. So um, yeah, and there's there are seasonal fluctuations, particularly in the New Zealand environment. Um, so that's why when when brewers come along and, and have selections, it's one of my most enjoyable times because I'm not the best with my nose with how hops smell. And I, I just love it when I hear the brewers say, oh, this is what I get. And that, you know, I get this. And I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I can see that. Or else I can say, holy crap, you're way off the mark there, buddy. But if that's what you think, <laughs> you're <going> for it. <laughs> But, um, you know, and, and that's the beauty of the way how the hop industry and the beer drinking world has changed so much. You've got you've got these professional chefs out there trying to create a recipe, and that recipe is to produce a beautiful beer for their customers to, to divulge. Um, back in the day with hop growing, it was grow the hell out of anything because if you couldn't, you're going to be on the back burner. You, you couldn't you couldn't survive. Now we are actually focusing on those varieties that are creating such a difference that it will be a different experience for the for the beer drinking public great great that's awesome uh em do you have any other questions i just i really want to go to new zealand yeah i i, <laughs> I want to I've try never, those, i've uh, never been i've never been in it yeah yeah and uh i'm just rewaka here i live in new england and it's yep. all about rewaka i don't know about you don in in canada but here where I live in the eastern part of the states, it's any most breweries if they can come out with a hundred percent Rewaka IPA, and it's all anybody talks about. So it's Look, the, it, yeah. it's it's a, a hop that is my favorite hop for different reasons because it's such a um, like I said a real finicky young lady to to handle. Um, it's it's always the latest out of the ground to grow, um, and so you're training it at the very very end of hop training. Um, but it has a very fast growth pattern if you've got everything going for it. It creates a beautiful hop cone and the, and the, the bind, when you do get it growing, um, it, it grows very, very nicely. But again, it, it's related to the weather that you have in that year. And typically we call rewalker a bit of a, a fourth or fifth year crop because by the time it, it's a variety that has very, very little root reserves and that's quite strange for a, for a hop so as you cut it down in the first year it has a really big hit and that hit really sucks back into the root stock and it just takes a long time to come out of the ground the second year which is also mean 
you don't get enough enough time on the string for it to to wind up. Um, and the therefore the lack of time on the string means you're going to get a smaller crop anyway. So it takes about four to five years to build up a really good consistent root reserve. Um, and in that time, you're going to get weaker yields um, as it comes through. But ultimately, Rewalker has got an X factor that no one has been able to explain yet. Um, right. If you have a sniff and a rub from it, it's, it's great. Is it exceptional? Um, there's others that are that are certainly certainly better. But when you put it into beer, it is honestly it's gold dust. It just whatever mm-hmm. it does, um, it can bring all the different flavors out of everything and. Uh, yeah, it, it's up until about probably four years ago, we just simply couldn't get enough growing before it was um, for it to be exported. So, um, yeah, it was very hard for brewers to receive the, this this um, pot of gold from the end of the rainbow down here in Paradise. Um, so, yeah, it was. And then Don, sorry, I know you mentioned before what other varieties have have come out of the of the program. Well, Nectaron was released. Um, oh yes three or four years ago and that's that's really taken the world by storm um a lot of the brewers are, are really enjoying brewing with it um and the very unique punch that it does give um quite a lot of pineapple in there um different tropical fruits um yeah it's really it's really done very well and of course nectaron was was named after dr ron beatson who who bred it um so nectar being the nectar of the gods and and the god that is hot breeding is ron so uh, <laughs> yeah that's, that's right. a good name and then then just the recent release um called superdelic so it's been uh yeah you know when you're naming hop varieties it's not the easiest thing to do you've got a marketing team who want to name it this and you've got growers who want it to name that and you want the market to be somewhere in the middle so. and then and then some um, trademark lawyer comes along and ruins everything uh, yes yeah exactly no, you can't use that name you can't use that and so yeah and and, and they that we're we're releasing things with a difference so superdelic is our highest um oiled hop that that we've got in new zealand at the moment um and it's very very balanced oils and it is a phenomenal hop um i have not tasted a beer that has been something i'd tip down the drain um so it's a good sessionable beer but what it does with all those oils i i explain it to people that it creates like a plate and when you're out for dinner you want to put all sorts of flavors on that plate but if you don't have that plate you're holding your hand so you can't get as much flavor on there um and that's exactly like a soil type when you've got a clay soil type they explain it as plates so oh on that plate you can you can fit more nutrients on that plate um in a clay soil on a sandier silt loam it tends to um disperse off a lot quicker um so yeah we we find that the plate holds a lot more nutrients or a lot more goodness so if you put say superdelic into a brew you can add a lot more hop flavors to it but those hop flavors all of a sudden if you were to add say a rewalker or a um, or a Nectaron or a Citra or a Simcoe to it, you'll find flavours that you haven't found out of these varieties before. Oh. Um, it, it's really it's really phenomenal. And it's one hop variety you don't want to overhop because it's if you overhop it, it will take the shine away from that and you'll take tend more to go with the traditional of the other varieties. So it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful hop um, and it's something we're very proud that we can release out to everyone. Um, that's that's so, so cool. Yeah. I'm it sounds amazing. I, I yeah. know. I, ha- I can't wait to try that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds, yeah. Like, and, it and, sounds like kind of like the salt of hops in terms of enhancing know, I would the sugar because I'm, I'm, I'm a sugar man. I'm, okay. I'm a salt. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and, you know, we've been quite critical. Many, many people have been of, oh, you know, you're holding back varieties in New Zealand um, because, you know, you know it's really good. But no, it's simply, it takes a, a while for us to get these varieties out. We're not a big growing nation. We only have a small area. Um, we try and please everyone as best we can, but there will be people we will disappoint, um, which we're very sorry about. But it takes time. It takes money to change out volumes, um, and it takes confidence. Once growers have confidence in a variety, then they will jump in boots and all. But um, it's not until we gain that confidence, um, and we we have that confidence confidence in how we're going to grow it as well, um, then the varieties really really take off and that's where sort of nectar on is at this stage you know several years after being released released the the brewing world has brewed with it they love it they want more and more um and therefore it gives the growers confidence to plant up and um right. know that you're going to be able to sell it so you know there's a lot that goes on in the background with with the hop world as well too and these new varieties are fantastic and we want to make sure everyone can have the opportunity to use them um, and sometimes it just takes a bit of time and it's also good for those brewers because the brewers who have initially brewed with it, they, they cut their teeth on it. They learn what is good in, in this hop and, and what might not work, what beer style suits best for it. And so, yeah, everyone sort of does a bit of learning along the way. And I think the transparency over the last five years, particularly in brewing and hop growing around the world has been, has been brilliant. You know, then people opening up their gates and doors a lot more. Um, doing collaborative brews, doing collaborative um, hop growing trials, doing all this sort of stuff. It's it's fantastic because the end user is going to benefit from it. And if the end user is benefiting from it, everyone else is as well too. Right, right. Awesome. So the, the, um, the, one, the one last thing I would touch on too, Don, down here, we, we are a very sustainable um Hop, hop growing sort of um, place, particularly our farm. Um, we we do our things differently down here. We now have um, 100% hop compostable twine on our um, on our farm. Oh. So our whole, whole farm, we don't. We used to grow with plastic twine because that's the only thing that we really could get down here. But it was a big problem, and I really wanted to solve that. So we've also we've got a New Zealand company who I've spent 10 years with and we've uh sorry seven years with and we've done prototype phase right through to the release and and now yeah we're 100 percent um we have been this season and um the previous two seasons we were ramping up as his production ramped up so it's really oh, that awesome. is a big that's a big win for us um the string was one of our last things we wanted to get rid of um because we compost very heavily compost to me is the closing of the circle the closing of the loop and hop growing um and we can bring all those nutrients that we've basically cut the vine off with and we can return it back out to the field but you must do it properly there's a difference in doing compost right and there's a there's a real problem if you do it wrong so um we, we spend a significant amount of time on our compost and um it's a real feature to returning back to our fields um and, and the other thing we use drying for drying it's the most energy um sapping source um to the environment of of the hop growing process so we are on our farm here we are um we have a pellet um a wood pellet um boiler 
and that boils hot water. The hot water doesn't quite take it to boiling. It, it runs it through a radiator system when we blow our fans onto the radiator. So it's all clean air getting blown mm. onto our hops and that blows through a radiator and that's how we dry our hops. Up our new farm, we've taken it a step further and we've gone to wood chip and that wood chip works in the same system. Um, but by using these two, the, the, the other ways of doing it are either using coal or diesel or the likes of butane, but we can't get a consistent supply of LPG or butane here in New Zealand. Um, so that was out of the question. So some growers have gone to diesel and other growers have gone to still stuck with coal, but that's pretty much phasing out now the coal here in New Zealand. But for our farm, for Mac Pops in particular, we're possibly one of the world's um, carbon um, efficient growers in world hop growing at the moment. So it's quite a, a proud um, statement that we can put out there and say. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. drinking New Zealand beer, a uh, 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 beer with New Zealand hops, I'm saving, saving the planet. That's a great line. Em, you were going to say something? No, I'm again, I just want to go to New Zealand. I'm yeah. not, I'm not adding anything to this conversation. And I'm also just very thirsty for uh, a Rewaka IPA right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brent, can you tell us uh, how we can follow you on social media, either yourself or Mac Hops? Yeah, yeah we've, we've got a, um, a Mac Pops NZ Instagram page, and we put a lot of um, things going on the farm and, and what's happening with our, our staff and, and um, all sorts of things going on. And we, we get a great little following there, and, and it gives people an insight around the world what's what's happening and what's going on. So, um, yeah, if, if you can tag us into that, and then people can, um, yeah, just live, live their, what's the word, vicariously, live their life vicariously <laughs> through what we do, do down here. And, Look, we are we are very lucky. We live in a beautiful part of the world. Um, we've got some great people who who are part of this industry down here. Um, very very passionate about what they do and the product they produce. Um, and it and it is true when when new people come into the industry, you do get hops in in your blood, and you just can't get rid of it. Once it's there, you know. My my dad, he people say that he's retired. Well, he's not retired. He's done a full hop harvest and he's, I think he's 73 now. And um, yeah, he, he will never give it up. And uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough thing to leave the body once it's in there. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Brent. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. No, and th thanks for the opportunity. And um, yeah, good, good luck for your finding your rewalker IPA. Em. I'm sure yeah. you'll sit down, you'll thoroughly enjoy that. And then you'll, your dream of the wonderland that is, is uh, New Zealand hop growing terroir. I love that. Yes. <laughs> I actually think I have one in my fridge right now. So I, uh, after this interview, I may be going to look for that. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, Very good. Well, I won't start being, you know, half past seven now in the morning. I don't think it would be a good, good sign to rock on down the farm with a beer in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> awesome. Well, cheers, Brent. Yeah, thank no, you. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. See ya. We'll continue our show with Ron Beetson of NZ Hops, but first, a word from our sponsors. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media 
this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Ron Beetson joined NZ Hops Limited, a grower cooperative, as their brand ambassador in June 2022. Prior to this, he was science project leader, hop breeding and genetics, based at the Regional Research Center of the NZ Institute for Plant and Food Research, a government-owned Crown Research Institute, located near Motuika in the heart of the Tasman hop growing region of Aotearoa, New Zealand. During his 40-year career in hops, he has been responsible for the, the development of 15 cultivars, including well-known cultivars Nelson Sovan, Motuika, Rewaka, Nectaron, and the latest cultivar released in February 2023, Superdelic. Ron received his Bachelor of Agricultural Science and his Master's of Agricultural Science from Massey University in New Zealand and his PhD from North Carolina State University in America, where he specialized in plant breeding and genetic studies. Welcome to the show, Ron. Kiora from New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for hosting me. We are very happy to have you here. Yeah, um, yes, thank you. Uh, you were a researcher with Plant and Food Research. Then uh, how did you become brand ambassador for NZ Hops? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I I was intending to retire from um, my my job as a, a research scientist and uh, where I've been in charge of the hops for about 40 years. And uh, I um, at the end of 2021, I thought I'd... Um, been able to uh, uh, basically re retire gracefully, if you like, and, and had a good replacement person in in place at Plant Food Research. Um, and uh, so I, I did retire actually for, for about five months. Um, and but NZ Hops, um, the cooperative, came calling and wanted to um, have some input around some technical aspects of the of the hops. So. Um, I agreed to to work part time, so that's how I came to be working for them. Um, I've, you know, obviously I've got a real passion for hops, um, uh, regardless of whom I'm working for, whether it's the plant food research or the cooperative. Um, but you know, it's been developed over many, many years, and so I've. It was an it was an easy it was quite a smooth transition in many ways. It's been it's been good for me. Uh, you know, I didn't realise at the time quite so much, but um, I'm promoting. A lot of the products which I helped develop under the plant and food research umbrella. So, so the cultivars, in other words, that we developed at plant and food research, I ended up um, promoting them. So that's good. And we've, since I've started, we've we've released a new one as well. So uh, yeah, it's it's been a good um, semi-retirement project, one would say. Nice. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I'm going off script here. This is not a question I had pre-planned, but I mean, does it ever happen where somebody says to you, oh my God, I, I hate such and such a hop and it's one of your hops that you developed? <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes no. <laughs> there's, there's there's brewers who, you know, they, you know what brewers are like. Everyone wants to be different. So um, often they'll um, comment about which ones they like better. Okay. Um, most, most of them are pretty circumspect about telling me that they hate it but there's there's one or two brewers who don't like um certain cultivars that's for sure um some of them can be quite polarizing for instance nelson sovan even though it's very very popular um some brewers um for whatever reasons that doesn't seem to 
um, the, the taste buds don't they don't like it. So uh, that's fair enough. I accept that. I don't make it easy on them, of course. So I keep on asking them <laughs> when they're going to start using it, and uh, it's quite it's, it's quite a interesting having the banter with some of these people about um, you know why aren't they using more of those types of things. Well, you so, send their email. You send them my email address, and I will tell them why they're wrong. I will also tell them why they're wrong because I love Nelson is great to, with something else. That's what I love. Nelson and a different New Zealand hop is it's a good it, backbone to a uh, hoppy beer. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. Personally, I think you're right. And um, I, you know, it's I guess of all the cultivars that I've been involved with and in releasing since the 1980s, it's been um, that's been the standout one, really. I mean, we've got some really superstars coming along but that one has been a superstar for 20 years and it's um and it's still going strong and the growers are still planting it um so it must be something good about it and it's certainly um you know obviously um you know they've been able to sell it at reasonable prices so and it's in high demand so yes I, i'd agree with you and i as you seem i i think the important thing is that it does play well with other cultivars um, on its own, it might be um, you know quite polarizing, but um, certainly um, when it's been used judiciously with other cultivars, it's it's really good. It's got some very unique flavors, and, and yeah. I don't internationally, I don't think um, it's been matched in terms of its flavor profile. Um, you know that white wine um, flavors that dominate when you when you use it in the beer. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's definitely my favorite. So good deep. I want to. I'm giving you multiple thumbs up right now. Even though you can't. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to fan. hear it. <laughs> yeah, big big fan here in Amer And in America, it's a huge. New Zealand hops in America are very in demand. Um, it's it's really really nice to see. It's always great when I find a New Zealand hop beer that they're just delicious. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. I guess in many ways, you know, I. As, as you can appreciate, I, I go to the United States a little fair bit, and uh, the last time I was there was actually pre-COVID. But um, one thing I noticed over there it was, it was actually quite difficult to find uh, hops without uh, with New Zealand hops in them. Actually, sorry, beers with New Zealand hops in them. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe I was in the asking in the wrong places, but uh, it, it seemed like to me that there was a um, there was um, certainly an interest in it. But yeah, I guess it's um, just the availability. And mm. uh, but I'm I'm really pleased that you've you, you've um, you like beers with New Zealand hops in it. <laughs> um, yeah, so you've bred some of the most famous and sought after varieties in the world, uh, like single handedly is the sense I get. So how is it that you are always developing such interest? What is your what is the secret to your success? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't. I just think of, I'm doing my job. That's all, you know, when I'm uh, as a scientist, that's that's part of my um, makeup, I suppose, is that you know you want to create new things, and uh, and that's part of what I do as a job. Uh, and so, um, I guess it's always nice to know that we've uh, the selections and uh, have come through and become cultivars um, in their own right. Um, it's I it's hard to put a finger on why we're successful. I think it's partly because um, it's the genetics we have here in New Zealand. Um, we've followed our own pathway, which is, I think, mm -hmm. is probably the most important thing. Um, it, I mean, our New Zealand cultivars haven't, um, they've used a different pathway to, to create, be created. 
and in many ways. So we've used heavily um, the lake cluster, American lake cluster cultivar in our breeding program, historically that is. And, you know, several generations later, we've come up with these new selections. So um, it's the approach. I, you know, I'm a classically trained plant breeder. So I've done a lot of um, what they call population improvement work, you know, trying to select parents that are good for um, various attributes. Um, and so I guess it's a combination of um, art and science, I suppose you could call it. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um... I, I have to know I have to know something. Do you have a favorite oh. of all the ones you've bred? Or is it like children <laughs> where you won't say? Uh, oh, I, I guess there are favorites. Um actually some of the, one of my favorites was has never become a cultivar. And oh. uh, really? It's, yeah, yeah. It's its sister has become a cultivar, but it's um the the cultivar superdelic is its sister was um was one of my favorites but um it never made it for for <laughs> various reasons you know the growers and the brewers thought that superdelic was uh, had better attributes so that's fine i got over it <laughs> it's one thing i've told my my successor is um when when you're out in the field um and you're selecting hops you know and and you yeah you have to make your decisions reasonably instantly and uh, you don't get many second chances with hops because once the plants are chopped down and um and taken to the um up to be processed and things it's um that's it really you've got to make a decision then so don't look back is, is, mm. is my motto really in, in in plant breeding because if there's not much good procrastinating about a selection that uh, is no longer um there basically <laughs> so, well so it's uh dare, yeah. dare i ask what it was about the sister of superdelic that you particularly liked Oh, I just like the form of the cone, and also it's. I personally thought it had an interesting chemistry profile. Um, for me, it had some nice um, flavours in, in beer um, when it was. We did some trial brews on it, and so that's the main thing. Well, that's that. Yeah, in New Zealand, we don't have any pests and diseases to speak of, so um, we're very lucky. We don't have to worry about breeding for. Um, or any kind of mildews or anything like that, because mm. we just don't have them in our in our climate. And while well, they they've never arrived in New Zealand, and which is good. And so we've been able to concentrate on uh, agronomic performance and of the plants, and also um, probably equally important these days is, is the flavour and aromas. And you know, in, in days gone by, it's in the 1980s the alpha was king, and uh, so the higher the alpha, the better the hop was considered. But in, as times progressed, um, and particularly with the um, the um, coming to age of the craft brewing scene and internationally, um, flavour has become very, very important. So that's now a major uh, component of our breeding program. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's um, <clears throat> oh, that's yeah, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's better no, really on that story. Yeah. I don't want to um, go on too long. <laughs> I know the interview's short. No, you can you can go on as long as you want because I love talking about this sort of stuff. Don is um, a real Don's a real nerd. Because nice. I have to remind people every episode <laughs> that you're speaking to some nerds here. So if you want to geek out, we we welcome it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to get too technical about science, the science side of it. That's all. And uh, uh, but we have used uh, in our program. We it you know I say it's a it's a blend of art and science. It's um. That's really 
the hallmark of our program. We've been able to tap into um, genetic material from North America and also from Europe. And, you know, that's the home of hops. We don't have hops growing naturally in New Zealand. So we've had hops growing here for 180 years, but they don't originate from here. So all the material has come from overseas, initially, anyway. So And what we've done is we create combinations of those. And as you can appreciate, when you go down the generations, you it becomes an identity in its own right in terms of um, the New Zealand story if you like and um so we've a lot of our hops have got quite strong um uh, flavors in terms of their fruitiness and various types of fruitiness if you like yeah and uh, including nelson Sovin and superdelic and nectaron for instance so they're all distinctively different um and i guess what's good about um hop breeding in general, be it in New Zealand or elsewhere, you know, we're coming up with combinations that are new and they blend well together. Um, a lot of some of the best beers I've tasted, in fact, have been beers that have been brewed with um, both North American and um, New Zealand cultivars. So, uh, you know, so some of those uh, combinations really have, uh, have a synergistic effect in terms of adding flavours. Right. I think our hops also too have hit the mark in terms of the craft beer boom. You know, we Nelson Sovin was probably at the start of it, and um, it was released in 2000, and the craft beer boom sort of was about to really take off, and so they wanted new flavours. And uh, likewise, with the introduction of hazy beers um, uh, recently, the Nectaron and, and Superdelica, you know, quite ideally suited to that as well. So um, they, well, they're suited to strong I, you know, IPA type beers anyway, sort of strongly hopped beers. Uh, so, yeah, I I, th- I think we've been um, fortunate that we've been able to develop these cultivars and that's coincided with various, um, the upswing of various types of beer flavors. Mm-hmm. How does, like when you were breeding, do you sit there and go, you know, it'd be really interesting to have uh, a new hop that has, I don't know, kiwi flavors in it. For example, yeah. and then you try and yeah. figure out how to do that, or are you, or are you thinking more on a chemical? Like, are you thinking more chemically? Are you thinking more sensorily? How do you decide what to do and what to try? Yeah, well, it's it's actually a combination of both, really, because you know once you've done your cross there, Don, you um the the you it takes two years basically to grow a seedling from a, a cross, so the plant sits for two years in the field pretty much. And then we start doing selection work. The initial phase is, of course, that every plant is genetically different. So you go through the population of plants and we select the, the chosen ones to uh, that are good agronomically. Obviously, agronomics is important for everyone um, to, for it to be successful. The growers won't grow it if it's poor yielder, um, So, which is pretty obvious, I know. But um, the and then it's a matter of going through the chemistry um because it is a hops admit you can regard really as a chemical factory really to me anyway they are because they're very um high in secondary plant metabolites hundreds of compounds have been identified um and so that's the basis of it now getting all the different combinations and lined up is um obviously uh something that we we can't really do uh, until we start 
looking at the flavours um, as well. So we do testing. We've got a pilot brewing plant at Plant and Food Research, and we do um, early generation uh, evaluations of um, beers made with these various um, selections. So it happens fairly early on now. We've, we used to uh, not do brewing trials until just before they were released to growers, but we found that... Um, you know, it's important for us now, with, especially with flavour being so important in the breeding program, that we do our testing earlier on and get our ducks lined up, so to speak. So yeah, we we it's so to answer your question, Don, it's it's um, a combination of a lot of things really, and um, that's I guess that's what plant breeding is. It's um, as I said before, it's it's a combination of art and science really <laughs> in many ways because um, you've got. Um, You've got to get the combinations right, but also there's got to be some science in there to make sure you do the right crosses and right. Uh, use the right parents. One of the things that we've specialised in here in New Zealand is the um, developing triploid cultivars, which are plants with three sets of chromosomes rather than the normal two. And the reason is that they are genetically seedless. And to create them, you've actually got to um, have one parent that's got four sets of chromosomes. And you cross it with a parent with two sets. So, and the the when you cross when you do that cross of uh, two sets by four sets, you end up with a the hybrid in between has got three sets, and you can't divide three. So, hence the reason why they're genetically seedless. Um, and uh, so that's that's been quite an important um, part of our program. It's not an easy route to producing a new cultivar uh, it's a lot easier if you if we just had the normal two sets um, and cross with another one with two sets but for um, over the years we've developed this population of uh, these plants with four sets of chromosomes and we call them parents really that's what what it is it's um, tetraploid parents so these tetraploid parents have become very very important in our breeding program and it's it's really getting to the getting down and drilling into those tetraploids. It's been the the hallmark of our program, and that's that's really the secret to our success. I believe uh -huh. is that we've been able to um, identify tetraploid plants, which no one else has got got them, um, uh -huh. and we've crossed them with diploids. And so, um, for instance, um, superdelic is a cross between a diploid parent, a diploid mother, crossed with a tetraploid father and uh so that's <clears throat> it's it's the first one we've done uh with the tetraploid as the as the dad if you like the father mm -hmm. and uh, it's just and to, to get to the tetraploids you have to identify them obviously so we have to do progeny testing um in plant breeding terms that's basically looking at um the analogy is in the animal kingdom is um uh the artificial insemination uh, procedures they use in um, in the dairy industry with um, super bulls and you look at the progeny of them or the females of the or daughters of the super bull and you pick the the best one out of there so that's what essentially what we've been doing we've been picking um, good tetraploid plants um, based on the progeny um, that we've oh, or the female progeny so it's um it's not a short procedure but we've now got populations that are quite um well developed and we use them extensively in our breeding program now so it's um and it's i, th I think it's that's been the hallmark of our program has been the fact that a we've got uh, different slightly different uh, genetics that we've used in our program 
um, and also the fact that we've got these, uh, we've doubled the chromosome numbers of um, some of the material to make them tetraploids, and these have been the hallmark of our program. They're a cornerstone, really, of our program. It's, so, um, sorry, sorry if that was a bit, um, bit too technical, but no, I, 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 I love this no. stuff. I was um, yeah, where I'm, 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 I'm like at attention. I got it's great. <laughs> if you could distill down for the benefit of beer drinkers, why they should care about a, you know, triploid. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is the benefit? I can tell that you already know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, the, the, yes, yeah, so that's something I didn't uh, talk about. Was you know, seedlessness is important in hops, um, and traditionally, it's it's been the way to produce. Um, uh, you know, hops are produced uh, seedless because uh, what they do is uh, they remove the um, in North America in particular, and also in Germany and in Czech Republic and other countries. They the way they produce seedlessness is to just not have male plants uh, planted anywhere near their commercial gardens. Great. In New Zealand, it's not quite so important because we've got triploids, so there are male plants around, and um, we. The, the, that was that was taken mainly because the um, if if those people who've been to New Zealand will understand that this it's quite a benign climate for growing um, a lot of crops and this is a big horticultural area where we grow um, hops in New Zealand and top end of the South Island and there's a lot of rivers and um, and there's a lot of wild hops that are, grow along these and a lot of these are male plants so uh, the other important thing of course is that you've got the, the the sex of the hop is um, on separate plants, so male and female on separate plants. So, um, yeah. So essentially, uh, and why the seedlessness is important because they, uh, um, the studies have shown that they, they can um, have uh, these compounds which interact with the um, malt and the yeasts and form um, bad compounds in the flavor for flavor of beer. So yeah. essentially, it's um, yeah. Seedlessness is the yeah. way to reduce that. I, I'm going to ask a question that I know is going to sound ridiculous, but I actually am asking the question seriously. Um, the, the benefit of the triploid uh, hops is that is that you don't have to worry about males being around, but might males being around actually be beneficial to the growth of the female vine? Yes, yes, they, they can be. Um, okay. They can stimulate the... Um, the development of the of the um, seed, well, the seed process, if you like, in the female inflorescence. Yeah. Um, so they can, yeah, they can stimulate the um, the, the the formation of the cone, as it's oh, called. So, um, it's not essential, and uh, but they, yeah, there's some thought that um, it will boost yields. The only thing about it is that it um, can change the the ratio of the um, the overall internal structure of the cone and um, maybe less going into the um, the bracton bracteole type development and rather into the other parts of the, um, the hop cone so I guess what I'm saying is is that um, it can um, it can be beneficial but it also um, can reduce things like alpha acids and things like that uh, if you if you have um, too much of the male plants around they do when i say seedlessness they they're not 100 percent seedless they they will have one or two percent will actually set seed and um so they'll um in a cone in other words will be a couple of seeds um that uh, 
possibly fertile, and uh, that can just add to the um, the weight of the cone and uh, not be not quite so good. Oh, I so see. Um, yeah, so so the, the yeah the idea is that um, yes, certainly the um, having male plants around will change the um, the amount of material that's coming off the plant but it's not necessarily a good thing so okay. most growers here for instance don't bother planting males anymore and and most they'll have male plants around the district but it's not um, a practice which we uh, have is in favor um you you've you've revealed your secret now the tetraploid and the tri uh deployed uh, uh, chromosomes. So now everybody knows, the Germans know, the Americans know. Um, um, but... <laughs> yeah, I, but to be fair, I mean, the pr the process is quite common in plant breeding. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah. and, and, and there have been cultivars released in America and also in, uh, I don't know whether, whether the Germans have released any, but certainly um, the Slovenians have released triploids. Oh, and, okay. uh there's been the odd one released from Australia um, as well. So, and yeah, for instance, Liberty and um, um, I was just trying to think Mount Hood are both triploid cultivars oh, from the states. So, and they, um, you know, the, the, yeah. So, so they they are around, and it's not, okay. um, you know, it's not a, not a secret. I don't think people just don't want to do it that way because it's actually quite a long-winded procedure to produce a triploid. So <laughs> that's probably the reason for it, and they got no reason to do it. So. Um, um, anyway, so let's say there are um, breeders who you know love the flavor of your New Zealand hops, but because you're breeding, you're not concerned about breeding for disease resistance. Can they use New Zealand cultivars to breed with American hops with an eye to growing them in America or Germany or UK or wherever? Yeah, um, they could do, but the material is not available. Uh, it's the the our genetic material is is held in New Zealand. We don't um, release any of that material offshore. No. Um, so um, yeah, that they plant yeah proprietary cultivars in their own right. So um, uh, much the same as what's happening, in, you know, with the advent of private breeding programs around the world, you know, they become a lot more protective of their genetic material. Which is understandable because that's their bread and butter. So right. um, uh, they they wouldn't bear in mind that when you're breeding these uh, cultivars, they um, every every time you do a cross, it's going it's going to produce different. Um, you know, it's going to be a lolly scramble if you like with the progeny that, that it produces. So it's not going to be um, if they if they used New Zealand cultivars. Um, they're not going to be that successful in terms of replicating the New Zealand cultivars in in, in progeny that have been they derive uh, derive from that. So, yeah, I, I guess the um, the short answer is it's probably not something that um, breeders tend to follow. The other thing about it, I think you you mentioned Don, is is that um, disease resistance. Um, our cultivars are not going to be that successful offshore because they are not um, haven't been bred for. Uh, powdery mildew or downy mildew so right. there's that aspect about it as well right. and if you look around the world most hop growing countries or um, well, in fact all the ones that i can think of have their own breeding programs because hops are actually quite latitude sensitive as well so um that's another factor in, into it as well that they perform very well uh, in their own environment but not necessarily flowering and um, behaving well if they're put into another environment with different latitudes 
for instance, in New Zealand here, we're at 41, 42 south of the equator. And that's equivalent of um, oh, about New York City and Northern California in terms of uh, latitude and, and, and also around Rome and um, right through uh, Madrid and around that area in, in Europe. So we're quite a, a way south of where the, most of the production is in, in the Northern Hemisphere. Hmm. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, there was this, you know, for a, for a time, everybody wanted alpha acids, and then uh, now everybody wants oils, and now <laughs> thiols and thiol precursors are the thing. Like, how much when you're breeding, are you trying to anticipate changes, or or are you because it takes a long time to develop a new cultivar? So, how much are you mm. reacting to, you know, consumer trends and brewer trends? Uh, I've got a special crystal ball here. Yeah, yeah I know. I was going, can you see into the future? That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, that's rather funny because, um, uh, off, yeah, we I actually they actually made some gifts here, uh, with a hop in the middle of a, a ball of resin, you know, like a like a crystal ball. And uh, so often, <laughs> often hold this up when I'm giving that talk. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I don't. I'm aware of changes and I think you just got to have an open mind when you're doing your breeding, you know, you cross for what you think is going to be the, the next trend, if you like, often it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you've got to have growers in mind as well. Um, mm -hmm. as you know, and having a, in New Zealand, for instance, we've got a lot of emphasis now on, um, having a harvest window, uh, variation in our selections. In other words, we have early me medium and late ones. The harvest has just finished uh, last week, so and we start harvesting in late February. So you know, it's about a five-week window, I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. So we that's one thing that we've um, always um, keep in mind. And so I I think um, <laughs> we when we're doing our selection work, you know, we keep the chemistry in mind. Obviously, as I said, it's a, that's the, probably the hallmark of the hops is, is what their chemistry profile is. But often at the compounds, you can't measure very easily. I mean, like the thiols you mentioned, uh, Don, it's, um, it's um, thiols are something that's of great interest. And it's, it's a nice word to slip off the tongue, but I don't think anybody really, really understands the full um, significance of thiols themselves. There's been a lot of research I know done in, in uh, Belgium and um, other places um, in the US now too as well, um, looking at thiols. But, um, we haven't got the capability here ourselves to do work in thiols, so our only pathway to to doing any kind of selection work like that is to is to look at the um the, the sensory side of things. So we you know put it into beer, do a brew, and um and then come up with um, what we think of the flavors of these things. Right. So you know we our um when in our pilot brewing plant, for instance, what we try to do is um, brew beers that are pretty standard you know, there's nothing sort of super flash about our beers they're just sort of strong pale owls but what we try to do is to we add a bittering hop during the kettle stage and then we use the um the new selections if you like in the dry hopping procedures um of you know of each so we we did test about um 18 to 20 every week uh, of these hop selections. And um, so we put them into beer basically and then do the full on test with them from there. So, and we can't, we, you know, we do, it's all electronically recorded. 
um, on our phones and things so we can um, upload them and, and get results pretty much instantly of what selections stand out. So, great, great. Awesome. I don't know that's, yeah, it's probably not answering your question fully, but no, it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Absolutely. Um, last question for you, Ron. We, uh, M and I, as we uh, were preparing for the show, we learned that uh, a, a relatively new hop variety was actually named after you, which is Nectaron. Mm-hmm. And uh, so wondering what that's like, uh, yeah, having a hop. Like? <laughs> you, you, you have t-shirts made where you say, I am yeah. the Ron of Nectaron. Or... Is it on your business no. card? Or <laughs> Funny enough, I haven't even got a business card yet. So oh. it's oh. the, I've slipped well, up there. I should be I've on got... your business card, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, so I've, when they first suggested, I didn't name it, by the way, um, but uh, it was... Um, I was a little bit embarrassed about it, actually, uh, including my part of my name on it. But I, it it has taken off, and I realise now that it's um, it's quite unique, and it's a, just a made up name, as you can appreciate. And it's yeah. so it's um, yeah, Nectar of the Gods and Ron Beatson sort of. Um, um, so that's um, I'm I'm quite honoured they called a hop after me, and uh, now and uh, but I don't wear it around on my t-shirt. No, no, okay. <laughs> There are T-shirts with Nectaron on it, though, but um, I, I don't uh, wear it to the pub on a Saturday night or anything like that. So, <laughs> awesome, but, Ron. Uh, um, thank you for your time. Uh, yes, how thank can people, you. Yeah, how can people follow you and what you're up to on social media or or whatnot? Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure, and you know, I hope it, I've told a coherent story about the hop industry here. It's um, it's a great industry here, um, and we um, I'm very proud of what. Uh, plant and food and, and myself have contributed to uh, the um, success of the industry it's it's um, it's really without the cultivars it would be uh, just another another item commodity crop but uh, we've you know I think we've got some interesting material um, coming through we've got some wonderful ways of uh, producing um, well, I think uh, we've got a program called Brack Brewing program here and it's the pathway to market really of, of advanced selections developed by plant and food research in the joint program with NZ Hops. And it's the way of um, getting them out to brewers and getting good feedback. So it's pretty unique really. And uh, we've got brewers from in the United States and um, Australia and New Zealand involved in this procedure. And um, we're getting good feedback. And it's it's in its second year now of, of rollout. And um, I think you'll just watch the space. There's going to be some new cultivars coming out of this uh, program pretty soon. We're not done yet. Oh, exciting. <laughs> yes, awesome. Well, thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. No, no problems at all. And um, happy to talk again anytime. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. So, Am, how do you think that went? What did you learn? So, oh, my God, I learned so much. As I always <laughs> say, I just, it's really fascinating. I like, I like, like talking about the sheep usage actually oh, yeah. i thought that yes. was really fascinating it was really great to let ron just be ron and like get really like technical with it I really just, and tetraploids. I yeah like that was just i was just sitting here listening being like i want to take a class from this man i yeah. want to like he's so and he's so important to um, like world craft brewing yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And if he, so I mean, humble about it too. <laughs> and just a real sweet guy too. That was really, like, you know, it was really great to listen to him talk, listen to Brent, and like learning how to farm. And it was, yeah. this was a this was a really great episode. 
I think that, um, you know, I'm obviously we are beer lovers and we love the flavor that hops provide. Um, but you know, they're real people who, who grow, you know, they have to grow these things and, yeah. uh, it's not as simple as just putting it in the ground and, um, you know, breeding these things, you don't just put, you know, a male and a female next to each other mm -hmm. and put some berry white on, and then <laughs> voila, you have Nelson Sauvin, you know, it's, no, this is no. really hard. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so cool. Oh, okay. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have questions for the experts, please email us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting this show through advertising. Speaking of advertising, here's a short word from our sponsors. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Estrella Galicia is an independent, family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. Before we go, if you like this podcast, one easy thing you can do to help us is to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people find the show. We'd also appreciate it if you would let your beer-loving friends know about the show to help us spread the gospel of good beer. M, how can people reach out to you? I am at Pints and Panels across all social media, and my website is www.pintsandpanels.com. How about you, Don? I am at The Dawn of Beer on Twitter and Instagram, and people can drop me an email at dawn at thedawnofbeer.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>